the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, good afternoon and welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. It is, of course, the program where we typically take your calls and answer your questions about the things you care the most about, questions about God and the historical Jesus. We talk about the Bible. We talk about worldviews and world religions. We talk about the past history. We talk about the future, prophecy, and of course, we talk about the here and the now. If you'd like to join me on the program, it's 303-873-1935 on this free-for-all Friday, 303-873-1935. A lot going on in the news, including uh, Germany remembers Kristallnacht across Germany in schools and city halls and synagogues and churches and parliament. People were coming together on Thursday to commemorate the 85th anniversary of Kristallnacht, which is German for the Night of the Broken Glass, in which the Nazis terrorized Jews throughout Germany and Austria. And Chancellor Olaf Scholz and Germany's main Jewish leader, Josef Schuster, were set to speak at an anniversary ceremony at a Berlin synagogue uh, that was attacked with firebombs last month. On November 9, 1938, the Nazis killed at least 91 people, vandalized 7,500 Jewish businesses. They burned more than 1,400 synagogues. According to Israel's Yad Vashem Holocaust Memorial Museum, up to 30,000 Jewish men were arrested, many of them taken to concentration camps like Dachau and Buchenwald. Hundreds more committed suicide or died as a result of mistreatment in the camps before the official mass deportations began. And... Um, so, again, there was this amazing, it says, Nie wieder ist jetzt, which is never again is now. And it was projected onto the Brandenburg Gate. And so lots going on in the news. Israel has agreed to a brief ceasefire to allow citizens of Gaza to evacuate. And Israel has agreed to put in place uh, four-hour daily humanitarian pauses in its um, efforts to eliminate Hamas in northern Gaza. And that was all starting on Thursday. And, of course, uh, the current president has been pressing the Israelis for a multi-day stoppage in a bid to have the hostages released. So... Um, According to the Associated Press and the Wall Street Journal, Israeli troops advanced deeper into Gaza City. Israel said 80,000 people fled from the north to the south 
yesterday. The Israeli Defense Forces said it had raided a Hamas military zone in Gaza. It called the heart of intelligence and operational activities. CIA Director William Burns met with uh, the heads of Qatar and Israel's Mossad to discuss a possible deal to release some of the hostages. And, of course, in the news, Senator Joe Manchin has announced he's not going to run for re-election. And um, in, in other news, according to the Daily Mail, masses of pro-Palestinian protesters took to the streets of New York and made their way <laughs> to the New York Times building, criticizing their coverage of the war in Israel. On Thursday, demonstrators took over the lobby of the building. They were holding up Palestinian flags, a sign that said, cease fire now. They read off names of those killed in Gaza from a paper that they called the New York Crimes. And Andy Goh, who uh, reported that radical leftists occupied the New York Times office in Manhattan to protest their coverage, they say that the New York Times is too biased in favor of Israel. So I'm wondering why they didn't invade Al Jazeera because they're too biased in in um, towards the Palestinians. And of course, yesterday I talked about a reporter, a so-called freelance journalist, embedded. Uh, based in Gaza hours after a photo emerged purportedly showing a top Hamas leader kissing the photographer on the cheek. Freelancer Hassan Ezzalea can seen in the photo being friendly with the Hamas chief, who was the mastermind behind the October 7 massacre <clears throat> that killed 1,400 Israelis. It's my understanding that the Israelis have... Re, um, have reassessed that number. They've now reassessed the number to 1,200 Israelis killed. But again, um, the 200 Israeli citizens still remain in, in host- as hostages. Again, um, the photo that I talked about yesterday came to light after Honest Reporting, a pro-Israel media watchdog group, published the report on Wednesday. And again, yesterday I I, I was talking about Breitbart, um, National Review Now, a number of different um, news outlets confirming that this particular reporter embedded with, with the terrorists... National Review's reporting that honest reporting in the hours following the expose, new material came to light showing the Gazan freelance journalist Hassan Ezalea, whom both AP and CNN used on October 7th. He was pictured with the Hamas leader, um, Yari Cohen, met Hassan Esalia, a freelance journalist for CNN, Reuters, AP. He's on a motorbike with a grenade in his hand on his way to the massacre of the innocents. 
So it's pretty bad. And then, of course, fights ensue between Palestinian and Israel, Israel supporters in Los Angeles. Gal Gadot, who is most famous for playing Wonder Woman, and who also served in the Israeli Defense Forces along with her husband, uh, had prepared, who's an Israeli filmmaker, um, had prepared a montage of, of film that showed the extreme graphic and violent documentation of the attacks. They called the film Bearing Witness. It was a 47-minute film um, that was seen by people uh, in, in Israel, but uh, again, also um, a sorority alumni gets membership revoked for standing up for current students protesting admission of a biological male at a sorority. So there's a lot going on. And um, a Chicago mayor pledged to take in more illegals, got booed by the crowd. So things are changing. There's a shift. There is a palpable shift taking place in the United States, in the world. 303-873-1935 is my number. Friendly Jim standing by to take your call. 303-873-1935. I'll be back with more. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. The number is 303-873-1935. And um, we are, I think, in day... 35 now of this war. Um, my friend Bill Federer at uh, theamericanminute.com, theamericanminute.com, posted a lengthy article. I was having a phone conversation with him today. And I said, Bill, I love this article. I want to read it in its entirety. I want your permission to read it and make comments on it. He said, Go for it. So at AmericanMinute.com, it's not today. It's dated October 24th. But he's talking about Israel, its enemies, and the United States' involvement in the Middle East. And I've been talking about this over the last several days, bringing in the history and some of the background of what's been happening on October 7th. Uh, obviously, the Hamas group committed an unprecedented terror attack, uh, killing now what Israel has re revised down to, to 1,200 Israelis, but still awful, and 200 taken um, captive. And Bill Federer points out what led up to this goes back over a century. After World War I, the Ottoman Empire dissolved leaving Britain in control of an area called the British Mandate. And in 1917, the British issued the Balfour Declaration, giving Jews a home in their ancient land. Now, some people have mistakenly thought that the Jews issuing this declaration gave Jews a home in their ancient land and that they stole it from the Arabs, but nothing could be further from the truth. 
because there was a robust presence of Jewish people. And then there was an ongoing purchase of lands considered worthless. The Arab Sharif of Mecca, Hussein bin Ali al-Hashimi, had helped the British defeat the Ottomans. And Sharif is the title of a blood descendant of Muhammad. So the Arab Sharif, um, his Hashemite family ruled Mecca for centuries. And the British recognized the Sharif's son, Faisal, as the king of Iraq, and his son, Abdullah, as the king of Jordan. And Sharif al-Hashimi was a moderate Muslim, yet he felt the British didn't fully adhere to their promises. Actually, he thought that they had broken their promises. And so he refused to ratify the 1919 Treaty of Versailles. And as a result, the British withheld support of the Sharif, allowing the fundamentalist Wahhabi leader Abdul Aziz Ibn Saad to seize control of Arabia in 1924. And Sharif Hussein bin Ali al-Hashimi died in 1931. And he was buried on Jerusalem's Temple Mount in a walled enclosure. And so if you've been to the Temple Mount, you've been close to his grave. So he is literally buried on the Temple Mount. And Wahhabis were called Islamic revivalists. Lawrence of Arabia described them in Seven Pillars of Wisdom in 1922, quote, the Wahhabis, followers of a fanatical Muslim heresy, had imposed their strict rules. Everything was forcibly pious or forcibly puritanical. Now, again, what's interesting about that is <laughs> I wish I could find the um, the note that I had on this. It was a taxi driver in London who uh, picked up a Muslim imam, and the the story went to the effect that um, that the Muslim imam asked him to turn off the radio because. Um, as an observant Muslim, he's not supposed to uh, listen to Western music because Muhammad never listened to Western music. And so the taxi driver pulled over, said, get out. Muslim, he said, Muhammad never took a taxi either. <laughs> so, but Wahhabis are a well-known group. And Brookings Institute scholar William McCants wrote, Saudis promote a very toxic form of Islam that draws sharp lines between a small number of true believers and everyone else, Muslim and non-Muslim. So in other words, Wahhabis aren't just as apt to kill a moderate Muslim as they are to kill a non-Muslim. So Wahhabis follow Salifi teachings of a harsh, literal interpretation of the Quran with the goal of a one world government called a caliphate. And you saw hints of this caliphate 
in the Islamic states, the Islamic states in, in what some called ISIL, the Islamic states in the Levant, or ISIS, the Islamic states in um, in Syria. So the British allowing Aziz ibn Saud to take over Arabia affected the entire world in two different ways. Since Mecca is in Arabia, and one of the five pillars of Islam is to make pilgrimage there, called the Hajj, Muslims from around the world were now being infected with Wahhabism when they went on pilgrimage. Every modern terrorist organization can trace its extremist beliefs back to the Wahhabis, like the Muslim Brotherhood, who declared jihad is our way, death for the sake of Allah is the highest of our aspirations. And so the Muslim Brotherhood was founded in 1928 by Hassan al-Banna and six workers of the British Suez Canal Company. And the Suez Canal, connecting the Red Sea to the Mediterranean Sea, was built by the French between 1859 and 1869. But after the Anglo-Egyptian War of 1882, it was controlled by the British who defended it during World War I and II. And so the second way the British allowing Aziz ibn Saud to take over Arabia it affected the world's oil supply. And so in 1938, John D. Rockefeller, Standard Oil Company, discovered oil in Saudi Arabia. And in one generation, it went from the poorest Muslim country to the richest. And it became a magnet for Wahhabism. 303-873-1935. So um, how much time do I have, um, Producer Jim? How much time do I have? Um, okay, so we'll tell the caller to hold on, and we will uh, we'll, we'll take the call. So less than a minute. So let me just finish uh, talking a little bit. I'm not going to finish, but... Uh, um, so John D. Rockefeller, Standard Oil Company, discovers oil. An individual who went on pilgrimage to Mecca was the Mufti of Jerusalem, Amin al-Husseini. Hitler originally expelled the Jews from Germany, and some fled to Jerusalem. The Mufti of Jerusalem didn't like that. He met with Hitler to confirm their mutual hatred of Jews, and he raised Arab troops to join the Nazis. And the Mufti pressured Hitler to commit to the elimination of the Jewish national home, backing the final solution of killing Jews. These are things that you don't normally hear about, but you need to. 303-873-1935, that's the number if you want to join me on the air. I'll be right back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci, so glad you could join me. On the program, the number is 303-873-1935. Let's see who's up. Teresa, welcome to the program. Hi, Gina. How are you? Good. Good. I just have a quick question for you. Have you ever heard of the Domino Revival? I have heard about it. It's It's allegedly a documentary. I think it was allegedly 
released in October. It was banned from Facebook. Um, Mike Signorelli, um, apparently it's, it's, uh, it's very charismatic, um, in the sense of, um, I, I think there's all kinds of allegedly, um, people who are demonically oppressed, who are delivered. It's very emotional. So I haven't seen it. Um, I haven't heard. So I'm not in a position to comment favorably or unfavorably on it. Um, so okay. I, I, I probably need to actually watch it so that I can see it. One of my, one of my concerns about it is um, that there's a guy named... Um, What's that guy's name? Locke. Um, this guy is is kind of a he, he's a person whose ministry I wouldn't recommend, but it does feature people like Mark Driscoll, who. Um, oh, yeah, it was Greg Locke. That was the guy I was thinking of. Greg Locke. So there's a couple of people in there who's who who run into problems, you know, um, in their pastoral ministry like Mark Driscoll. But again, in order to be fair, I, I, I guess I probably need to either see it or see a great deal of it before I can weigh in. Have you seen it? Oh. No, actually, um, a couple of ladies from our church have gone, and then they said they would let us know when the next showing was, and it's coming up on Monday. But I looked at the... Um, the article or the video on YouTube, and that's exactly what it sounds like, looks like. It's, you know, uh, healing, it's um, um, revival, with, healing, deliverance. Yes, he, yes, yes, yes. So it was kind of like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm a strong. Christian, but I don't know about dealing with demons. I don't think I'm equipped for that yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen it, so um, I probably need to. I try. Yeah, and what it sounds like too, if you're watching the movie after the movie, or I don't know if it's a if it's a actual movie or if it's live streamed or what it is, but they actually have the. Um, audience participation and they actually do healings in the audience right that's why i think it's quote unquote called a documentary um so apparently i'm not i'm not sure about it i mean i'm not sure about the quality of it or the content of it or the message of it so unfortunately i apologize but i'm not in a position to make any kind of credible statement about it okay well i will give you time to look at that and then i'll call you back or if you wind up seeing it you can call me back and just give me your input (laughs) i know well maybe maybe we should go and see what it's all about and then if we need to leave then we leave i i literally do try to um be fair if you will i'm i really you know obviously it isn't helpful to misrepresent people, their beliefs. Um, So try to figure out who they are, what they're trying to say, and what their message is. 
right. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. No, thank you for the call. Enjoy your weekend. Yes, you too. (laughs) Thanks. 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. And yeah, I I am unfamiliar. Um, I I just have the most superficial knowledge of, of it. But we'll, we'll find out. So I was talking about the American Minute, and I was talking about my friend Bill Federer and his posting on Israel, its enemies, and the U.S. involvement in the Middle East. And I talked a little bit about the history as you go through the history of of, of World War One and the Wahhabis and their origination and how every modern um, terrorist group can trace their extreme beliefs back to the Wahhabis, like the Muslim Brotherhood. And by the way, it was the Muslim Brotherhood who were responsible for Al-Qaeda and the and the destruction of the Twin Towers. And the, the Muslim Brotherhood was founded in 1928 by Hassan al-Banna and six workers of the British-run Suez Canal Company. And the Suez Canal, like I said, which connected the Red Sea to the Mediterranean Sea, was uh, built by the French who literally controlled it and that well the British controlled it and then defended it during World War one and World War two and like I said in 1938 John D Rockefeller's standard oil discovered oil in Saudi Arabia um, the Mufti of Jerusalem winds up going to Mecca um, is infected with Wahhabism. Egypt had been the richest Arab country because of cotton exports, but um, with the presence of oil, Saudi Arabia became ever increasingly rich. When Hitler lost the war, the Mufti avoided prosecution as a war criminal by fleeing on a fake passport to King Farouk in Egypt, and there he made an alliance with the Muslim Brotherhood. And so in Egypt, it was controlled prior to World War I and II by the Ottoman Empire. It declared its independence in 1914, It was protected by the British in 1919. The Egyptian Revolution brought an end to British rule. And Egypt's uh, King Farouk met with President Roosevelt aboard the USS Quincy in the Suez Canal on February 13, 1945, on his return trip from Yalta, from the Yalta Conference, where he gave half of Europe to the Soviets. So the next day, Roosevelt hosted King Aziz Ibn Saad aboard the USS Quincy. Roosevelt tried to persuade the Saudi king to support the Jews in their homeland, but he refused. He then made a secret agreement with Roosevelt for Saudi Arabia to supply oil to the United States in exchange for U.S. military protection. 
Once back in America, Roosevelt wrote to King Ibn Saad on April 5th, 1945, promising that as long as he was president, America would not recognize a Jewish state. Here's the quote. Quote, I communicated to you the attitude of the American government towards Palestine, that no decision be taken. I assured you that I would take no action in my capacity as chief of the executive with regard to the question of Palestine, unquote. By the way, producer Jim, do you know what happened one week after Roosevelt wrote that letter? No. He died. Roosevelt died. One week later, he he died. And then Harry Truman became the president. And things were going to change for, for the Jew and for Israel. 303-873-1935. That's the number when I come back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So cool. <laughs> you could join me on the program. 303-873-1935. I'm talking a little bit about the other history of the Middle East. And I reminded you that Roosevelt wrote to King Ibn Saud, who was the uh, king of Saudi Arabia. And on April 5th, 1945, he promised so long as that he was president of the United States, the United States would not recognize a Jewish state. He wrote him a letter to that effect. Within a week of uh, writing that letter, he died, and President Harry Truman ascended to the office and the British were becoming more and more tired of Middle East tensions. And they announced that they were going to relinquish the British mandate on May 15th, 1948. And Israel declared its independence and with the help of President Truman was recognized by the United Nations that very day. That very day, the first Arab-Israeli conflict began. It ended with a treaty negotiated by Ralph Bunch. He was the first African-American to receive the Nobel Peace Prize. And during the Cold War, the Soviets took advantage of the internal divisions within countries to overthrow governments, a process called, through a process called, critical race theory. So the CIA copied Soviet KGB tactics in 1952. The CIA participated in Project FF, overthrowing King Farouk during another Egyptian revolution and installing Gamal Nasser, in 1953, the CIA helped overthrow the pro-Soviet leader Mossad in Iran and installed the pro-American Shah Reza Pahlavi. And by the way, he came on 
um, his son anyway, and um, commented on the Middle East situation. But in 1956, now think about this. This is almost 70 years ago. Nasser took control of the Suez Canal. He refused to pay Britain or France and blocked Israeli ships. In response, Britain, France, and Israel invaded the Sinai Peninsula and took back the Suez Canal. And when Nasser made overtures that Egypt might become pro-Soviet, the British and French withdrew troops, leaving Israel in control. In 1957, President Eisenhower pressured Israeli Prime Minister David Ben-Gurion to give up the Sinai Peninsula in a land-for-peace promise. The United Nations forces were sent to keep the Suez Canal open in the UN's first peacekeeping mission. The Soviets helped create the Palestinian Liberation Organization, or the PLO, in 1964. And the Mufti of Jerusalem, remember, who sided with Hitler? The Mufti of Jerusalem's nephew, Ringo Starr lookalike Yasser Arafat, became head of the PLO. And by the way, did you know that Yasser Arafat, when he died, was a billionaire? Do you know how he became a billionaire? By taking first millions. No, let's start with thousands. First thousands, then millions, then tens of millions of dollars from donors. The Soviets helped Fidel Castro create unrest and overthrow Batista in Cuba. The Soviets helped create unrest in Colombia with the National Liberation Army of Colombia, FARC. The Soviets created unrest in Bolivia by helping Ernesto Che Guevara found the National Liberation Army of Bolivia, the ELN. The Soviets created liberation theology to promote Marxism and social justice among naive students on college campuses and seminaries. And then Eisenhower confided on June 10, 1963, quote, the United Nations has seemed to be two distinct things. To the free world, it has seemed that it should be a constructive forum. To the communist world, it has been a weapon to be exploited in spreading disunity and confusion. And so on June 5th, 1967, Nasser prepared Egypt's military to attack Israel in the Six-Day War. Cairo Radio announced, quote, The hour has come in which we shall destroy Israel. Yep, on June 5th, 1967, 
Cairo Radio said the hour has come in which we shall destroy Israel. Jordan, Syria used Soviet-made weapons to shell Jerusalem and Israeli villages. The hotline between Moscow and Washington was used for the very first time. And Israel's foreign minister, Abba Ibn, addressed the United Nations June 6, 1967, quote, an army greater than any force ever assembled in the history of Sinai has massed against Israel's southern frontier. Egypt had dismissed the United Nations forces, which symbolized the international interest in the maintenance of peace. Nasser had provocatively brought five infantry divisions and two armored divisions up to our gates. 80,000 men, 900 tanks were poised to move, unquote. And in a surprise move, Israeli Air Force flew under the radar. They destroyed 400 Egyptian planes. Sarah Yovid Rigler wrote in Hidden Miracles, February 2nd, 2003, that on the morning of June 5th, 1967, Egyptian intelligence sent warning of Israel's attack to the command bunker at Cairo, but the commander couldn't be found. The previous night, he and other officers were at an airbase in Egypt's North Delta attending a party where a famous belly dancer performed and early the next morning were meeting a high-ranking delegation from Iraq. As a result, not one senior Egyptian officer was at his post when the Israeli airstrike occurred. The Israelis retook the Sinai Peninsula, drove Syria from the Golan Heights, captured Jerusalem, including the West Bank, the Old City, and the Temple Mount. In a CBS TV interview, Prime Minister David Ben-Gurion said, quote, In Israel, in order to be a realist, you have to believe in miracles, unquote. See, there's way more to the story that's happening right now in the Middle East that goes back a hundred years. And if you don't know that story, you might be tempted to wonder whether or not the chant that's being made all around the world. by Hamas supporters is justified. It is not. I'll be back taking your calls, answering your questions. I'll have more from the AmericanMinute.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.